Welcome to the new Last Dance Breakdown Show from your friends who brought you trending in education. We can't contain ourselves because the trends are emerging everywhere. One of the places that is emerging right now is must-see TV in light of the the COVID-19 pandemic. I think the number one show on my list right now is The Last Dance on ESPN covering the the last season of the 1990s Bulls, 1998. And I can't do this on my own. I got to find a compadre who can be point to my counterpoint, who can bring the next level takes, both hot, tepid, and weak tea. And I can't think of anybody better to partner with than a good friend of uh, all of my podcasting activity, Tarlin Ray. Tarlin, welcome to... The new Last Dance Breakdown Show. How are you? I'm back, baby. I'm back. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. I didn't, yeah, think that, I didn't think that intro would end. I've just been waiting to come in and to say something. This yeah. is this is the only. It's, how is anyone not watching this show? It is That's the most a great amazing question. thing that we can watch at this really crazy period of time to have original content from the 1998 Bulls. Yeah, it is must see TV. I clear yeah. a room in my house every Sunday from six to eight because I yeah. have sports fans and I don't move. I I right. love I right. love this. Yeah, and we're we're at this point of taping. We're four episodes into a ten part series, so we're four episodes in. First two episodes were Michael and Scotty. Last two episodes we're bringing in more of the Rodman story, and more of Phil Jackson. Obviously Jerry Krause, Jerry Reinsdorf. So like. Spoiler alerts abound. If you want to catch up on this stuff, by this point, we're four episodes in. We'll probably do them roughly sequentially. So if you you really want to listen to what we have to say, you can start, but then we're going to be sort of hopping around. So I would say by this point, if you want to listen to this show and get the most out of it, I'd say watch all four of the first episodes. They're all out there as of now. We're going to come back after maybe four more episodes, after eight in the tank reflect on that and then we'll do one more wrap-up show something like that try to bring more voices in get more uh perspectives but a lot going on multiple layers layers upon layers angles upon angles but uh, but tarlin and and you did confirm to me recently i can call you t-ray on occasion you play a little bit of basketball in your day and you've been a lover of basketball your whole life top level just you want to summarize where you're at you gave us some some ideas but what pops like what are the what are the what are the themes that you're noticing so far what lessons you know try to wear a little bit of an educational lens here what can you learn you know there's obviously entertainment value but but what's capturing your imagination uh, the most about this why do you think it's so uh, so timely first of all most people have this debate about who's the goat so mm-hmm. interesting time for this to come out as LeBron is climbing the various statistical ladders, whether it's points, assists, and obviously he trails Jordan a number of of championships and is not undefeated in championship. We have Kobe Mm -hmm. untimely passing. And so for Jordan to agree to have this come out when he's such a super private guy, get a look at what it means to be great. So a lot of people want to be great. Uh, A lot of uh, people have great ideas. They call them entrepreneurs. 
Like they yeah. want to be it, but they don't actually do it. Right. Seeing Jordan and hearing him talk years later, how maniacal, how ultra competitive yes. you need to be and how yeah. hyper-focused you need to be on a goal to be great. Mm -hmm. That should resonate with everyone. It just doesn't happen. It's not just God-given ability. Yeah. It's not because it's, he just wakes up. He was, he's legitimately a little crazy. Yeah. And holds grudges and can still to this day talk about moments that happen in his mm -hmm. career that drove him, whether it's getting cut when he was in high school, which is a great lesson for us all. You're going to get, yeah. get knocked in the face, whether it's losing out in the 90s playoffs to the Pistons and what drove them the next that summer to come back and win their first championship. I, I do think it is to be great. It doesn't happen by accident. It's mm -hmm. practice and dedication. You learn from failure and there's some great moments where not only Michael, but the Bulls are learning from failure. Yeah. And the last big thing is change is hard, but if you accept change and dive into it with, with your full self, there's some good things that come out of it. So Michael, yeah. and you'll see in the third or fourth episode, he was the man. He had mm -hmm. won multiple MVPs, some sort of player of the year, scoring title, yeah. slam dunk contest, but they never won. And Phil right. came in and took the ball out of his hands. And so you watch someone at its highest level adapting to change, accepting it, and then driving their team to new heights. That mm -hmm. to me is what resonates. Greatness, change, and failure. Those are things that I think resonate throughout. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like all that. And that's sort of the, the thrust. It's all about Jordan, but it's also all about the whole team. And the thing that Phil Jackson gets a lot of credit for as the Zen master who was running the, the chemistry of the team really throughout this historic run, six championships in eight years, six in a row in years when Jordan was actually playing, getting Jordan to let up a little bit where he was scoring like 50, 60 points a game to start averaging 30, but to, to do that in a way that would incorporate these other pieces, the supporting cast, you know, scare quotes attached. I it's super interesting as well, because I think this, the, the personas, the, the personalities, the story of Scottie Pippen, it's easy to forget how much there is to learn from Scotty, then also from Dennis, then also from, from Phil, not to mention Jerry Krause too, you know, like it is, it's really interesting, you know, I'm watching this with my wife uh, who grew up outside of the States and didn't really follow this period in uh, the NBA where for me, this like, if you grew up in the nineties, you were even a remote sports fan just aware of media, you knew what was going on with the Bulls because they Bulls were, were the Beatles. Bulls were the yeah. Beatles. They were, they were everything. But for Robin, who's just watching this fresh, really starting to understand the phenomenon, like the, she already likes the NBA because of the male soap opera aspect to it. <laughs> and this is that to the nth degree. And last piece on Jordan, and then I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on some of the other personalities and sort of interactions and dynamics, which, which are, are really relevant throughout. But the other thing about Jordan that I thought was profound in a lot of ways is when he broke his foot and then he had to come back from his foot being broken, how soon could he start rehabbing? How soon could he start playing? And the way the organization was thinking about risk versus the way Jordan was thinking about risk 
And then also the way Jordan was thinking about if I'm to be the greatest player who ever lived, I'm not going to sit out one minute longer than I need to. At one point they say there's like a 90% chance you'll be fine if you start rehabbing early, but there's a 10% chance it could be career ending. And what the organization heard then was, so he needs to shut it down until it's 100% or 99.9 because he's the greatest player. He's our future. We need to, to sit him. Jordan, meanwhile, is in North Carolina playing full court runs way ahead of schedule because he said 90% is a big percentage. If I'm going to be the greatest ever and, and I'm still maniacally focused on that goal, I'm going to take on that risk because I see that upside. That to me is a really interesting counterpoint to the way we're thinking about risk nowadays. There are elements of this where Jordan is he almost flirts with being an anti-hero because like he's not he's not always the media darling that he's he was most, he's not the most likable guy no no yeah 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 so any thoughts on that because i know you recently had an injury you're sort of coming back for that and and just for our listeners who may not notice from our the way we talk you know both you and i played basketball earlier and throughout our lives arguably you may be a slightly better basketball player than me we haven't we haven't measured it empirically in 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 many years but I'll concede to you that you were probably a better basketball player than me. You understand what it's like to aspire to be great. And then also now you're, you're recently coming off rehabbing from an injury. I thought that part of the documentary was, was pretty interesting just to understand the mentality of Jordan coming off that. So do you have any thoughts on that? Remember, uh, Jordan was focused on making the playoffs. Mm -hmm. This was, it was his second year. And he saw this as a chance to continue to get this team to understand what it meant to win. Right. The organization, I think, saw it as an opportunity to get a better lottery, get a better standing in the draft, and bring mm -hmm. on some more right. draft capital. So as a player, and I've gone through this, not even close to being nowhere in the stratosphere. And Palmer, you and I remember we we battled together on our own yeah, Chelsea peers and barely yeah. lost in the playoffs. So we yeah. are equal, yeah. equals, equal losers. <laughs> second place, second place is first loser. Yeah, um, yeah. But I will say, as an athlete, ten percent seems minuscule. You're not mm -hmm. thinking about that at all. I played through my senior college a stress fracture mm -hmm. where every day I would double double tape my ankles i would take six advil and at that time yep. it was over the counter card up times just to not have a feeling until yeah. you break your foot right and they ended up breaking my other foot oh you wow think yeah. about that because you're so invested in the guys you're playing with the team mm -hmm. and trying to win and that's right. just driving you the competition and not letting the other person down so i totally see his respect as an athlete, it's interesting when you flip that on the TED and you think about folks that are in business and trying to start new concepts, that 10% magnifies because those are people saying you can't get something done. Yeah. Oh, here are the risks. And it's interesting how as people are trying to do things on their own and in that setting, that 10% actually becomes the 90 when it's actually 10 yeah. and right. vice versa. So 
some learnings to take from there, but I'm not surprised that that's the attitude. It's yeah. every player's athlete's attitude because not that they're invincible, but what are the odds? Right. What are the odds going to happen again? And I feel yeah. good. Let's go. Yeah. There is a bit of a lesson there in terms of, you know, no, you, you got to risk something to be the greatest. And conversely, they don't do documentaries about Sam Bowie, the guy who breaks his foot and then never really bounced, bounces back. So there are counterpoints to Jordan. But it's just interesting how close he was to not being the greatest. If you look all the way back to high school where he cut from the varsity team as a, a sophomore. sophomore. So he made it as yeah. a junior. Yeah, and then all through you know North Carolina. It was really James Worthy's team, but then he hit the shot to, to win. And that's when his name changed from Mike Jordan to Michael Jordan. So I may need to be, you know, when I, when I deliver that podcast salvo, that is just pure beauty. I may need to change my name from Mike Palmer to Michael Palmer on the show. But, uh, but there's a lot of stuff. We'll let you Jordan. know when that moment happens. We'll let you know. <laughs> but not to mention, I mean, like 90s fashion, big suits, Jordan wearing berets. Meanwhile, he's also, sneaker culture is exploding beyond exponentially into the world. He's driving all that. There's a one amazing scene where he's in Paris and he's like the Beatles, like you were saying, and phenomenal stuff about Jordan. But I want to get your take on the other three components of the four horsemen of the, the, this era of the Bulls. Just one last yeah, piece of before we yeah, go off Jordan yeah, was, yeah. I thought the last segment that was super interesting as you look at the evolution of him as a star was when in his first championship, in order to win, he actually had to find someone else in the team. So wasn't that the moment where he found Paxson Yes. Paxson actually dominated the fourth quarter. That wasn't the championship, right? That wasn't, was that to get past the huh? Pistons or was that in the championship? That might've been against the Lakers. I know you may be blocking that out. but I, I, I have to. I'm a dire Laker fan, so I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. their first championship brings me so much pain. Great. Yeah. That's Michael. I think it was the clinching game, right? I think yeah. it was game five of the, the, the 91 finals, I think. But the moment where they're clamping down on Michael... He knows he can't do it alone. And Phil asks him, who's open? Mm-hmm. And he immediately said, Paxson. He said, yeah. get Paxson the ball. Yeah. Also, it's just this evolution, like to win, it doesn't mean it has to all be about the main guy and they're going to get all mm-hmm. the accolades. Sure, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. he's a goat. But it doesn't happen without bringing us along. So I thought that mm-hmm. was a special moment where he trust. Trust yeah. goes across sports. Trust goes across your relationship with your significant other, working yep. business. So I thought that was another theme that I thought was important. But anyways, I just wanted to- Yeah, and fortunately, I, yeah. I for one, I'm married to the GOAT, you know what I mean? So, and that's, that's on the record, the greatest of all time, you know? So so thank you, Robin, for your support throughout this and uh, and score, score one for me. But uh, but yeah, so that was Jordan. Yep. And then, and then Pippin, right? Pippin emerges as just this, amazing character and I gotta say I kind of I missed a lot of this in the 90s I was aware of it but I think this documentary brings Pippin to light because he's a guy who's very comfortable behind the scenes and he's not about him but it was the second episode I think might be my favorite so far the one that really focused on Scotty's story because I thought it it was also telling about Michael and how Michael just like he learned to trust Paxson in that one game the level to which he began to rely on Scotty and, you know, Scotty became the perfect uh, counterpoint to Jordan's dominance 
Scotty was filling the gaps and doing some amazing things, playing tremendous defense, doing all the little things. Thoughts about the, the Pippin angle? Fascinating story. One of 10 kids, small town in Arkansas, not highly recruited out of high school, a point guard, so mm-hmm. 6'1". Yeah. He actually didn't even make the team, had a growth spurt. He was an equipment manager equipment at manager. Central Arkansas. Arkansas, Central Arkansas. So then to have that spurt and then to be drafted in the top 10, mm-hmm. that shows a little bit of what and whatever you want to say about Krause, Krause's ability to build a team, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's super fascinating. I think Pippen realized that he needs to stay close to Michael. So I think he learned how to be a professional. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the ultimate compliment for Pippen is for the greatest of all time to say, I 100% could have never done this without Jordan to say they couldn't have done it without Pippen. It's, yeah. it's a fascinating take. And you realize, and I can talk about this because it created great pain, the Lakers were up on yeah. the Bulls mm-hmm. in, the, in the beginning of that series. And mm-hmm. Pippen started, picked up Mike, uh, Magic Johnson full court, yeah. and it was yeah. over. Right. So he was so disruptive. He was the early stat sufferer. He was, mm-hmm. you know, 18, 8, and 8 mm-hmm. and guarding their best player. So to right. think about it, they took a guy who was an equipment manager, similar to Michael, getting cut from his mm-hmm. team, the greatest yeah. of all time, not making a sophomore. And for them to keep powering through or obstacles in their way and become legitimately one of the top five players in the world right. is amazing. The last yeah. thing I'll say, especially about Pippen, is that championship run doesn't happen mm-hmm. unless he is one of 10 kids from a really small town in central Arkansas where he's like, I will sign a seven-year, $18 million contract because that is more stability than I ever have. Mm-hmm. And him locking himself into what is a bargain basement rate yeah. allowed them to bring in more talent for years to let that yeah. run happen. Because right. otherwise, he would have needed to be paid as a top five talent, and they wouldn't have been mm-hmm. able to retain the team. Yeah, and that's the big drama of the last dance, because this season, it's very clear that the team will not be together after the 1998 season. So Scotty's going to leave, because Scotty's due for a new contract, and he's soured with the front office, Jerry Krause. And then same thing with the coach, uh, the Zen master, Phil, Phil Jackson, also is not going to be back the following Zen year. Master. Yeah. So then Jordan is basically saying, I'm not going to come back if Phil's not here. And at the same time, he doesn't even know if Scotty's going to make it through this year because he sits out. He got a knee, knee surgery later than you would typically because he was sort of holding out, maybe looking for a trade, trying to figure out what's next for Scotty Pippen. So the year is very much up in the air, in part because of that long-term contract with Pippen. But to your point, it allowed them to build to where they were. And then just in terms of the team chemistry, I do think the fact that it is the last dance gives them a narrative to get behind. It's that whole, you know, Pat Riley would talk about how it's harder to win the third in a three-peat than it is to win the first, you know, and even if you win the first one, then you come back, it's, I don't win, you know, now we got to repeat. We got to show people that we're more than just a, a one-hit wonder. Then you get to the three-peat. But this, this is their sixth championship together for the core elements of the team. How do you motivate them? Well, if you realize... We had something magical here. That magic will end. This, you know, Phil Jackson named the season the last dance. You know, like 
brilliant motivation. There's so much to learn, I think, just in terms of management and leadership and also allowing the team more free reign than what was traditional at that period in time, where it was more the stern taskmaster running the team. Phil Jackson was very much a player's coach, bit of an outsider, and he was allowing the team to be quirky, distinct personalities who then would come together through the magic of the triangle offense. And then, and then that brings us to Robin. I knew, I mean, it's like, where are you going to, you got to, you got to go, you got to go to Robin, but you say free reign in talking about Phil before we go fully into Robin, Phil as a leader, he wasn't a taskmaster, but he also let leaders on the team have, have a say. Mm -hmm. So especially when we get to Rodman, you talk about a different personality, a different cat. Yeah. Yeah. A guy that they ultimately let take a vacation in the middle yeah. of the season. Imagine, yeah. I don't remember, I have no, like, that didn't hit the, I don't remember it newspapers. I don't remember that yeah. at all. But it was yeah. this day and age, that would be everywhere. Yeah, the I mean, fact that Rodman existed before social media is, is just mind blowing because had, like, I don't know what the internet would have done. You know, like, I don't know. would have broke. They would have oh. for 72 hours just been a, been a, been a live feed of him yeah. in, in Vegas. Yeah. But for Phil to bring Jordan's room as he's trying to, effectively, it's like you're dealing with a personnel issue and allow a leader on the team to help mm -hmm. make a decision. I thought yeah. it was huge. It showed yeah. he was humble. It showed he didn't need to have all the power. It mm -hmm. showed that that he wasn't the team because he was the Zen master. He had five, like this team doesn't exist yeah. without the players. Right. So I, it reminds me of conversations we've had. You, you've led me a little bit in some of this thinking too, is learning lessons from the NBA and NBA coaching around how to manage rising talent in the 21st century. How do you think about millennials are getting old now, but millennials and iGen or Gen Z behind them, how do you allow them to be the hero of their own narrative and to understand what's uniquely special about them. It reminds me of the parenting adage, you know, parent the child you have, not the child you want. So coach the players you have, not the players you want. Like, how do you get the most out of a Dennis Rodman? And how do you get the most out of a team chemistry that allows him to be off the reservation? I mean, he's, he's gone. Like he was, a, he was allowed to go to Vegas for two days and he wound up being gone for like a week. Carmen Electra's, you know, taking, you know, shots in the club. It's, it's some crazy action. And then Jordan and, and Phil together figure out how do we bring Dennis back? How do we allow Dennis to, to feel bought into this team enough when you know he's still going to, I think there's an analogy to him. He walks backwards. He's just a different cat. And the fact that he is so different can ultimately make your tribe better. Phil Jackson was all influenced both by Eastern religion and also Native American uh, spirituality. And he was talking about how in terms of the team as a tribe, allowing for this genuinely different flow to exist within your team culture allows you to play at an even higher level than if you didn't have that radical maverick nonconformist in your midst. So I do think it's such a, I spin, I struggle, and you have a young son, and we have, I have kids that are older, but in hearing you say you should parent 
the child that you have and not the child that you want. You got to catch yourself. And I think it's hard to do as a parent as you're trying to get them to conform and you're just running through the days because you've got to see, you have to pause and see your child. Mm-hmm. I think Phil takes a lot to pause and see the individual and mm-hmm. to say, for Dennis, I think it was an awakening for him where he was part of the bad boys and he had this inner and period where he was bouncing around and not, you know, trying to find himself. But for Phil, dyed, dyed, dyed his hair, dyed his hair yellow, more to colors, and came back. Tied it up, started dating Madonna. I mean, completely like, tied it up. It was a different, yeah. different dude. Um, but for Phil to basically say, I see you, mm-hmm. how empowering is that? And he'll, yeah. Phil, I mean, then Dennis ran, would run for a wall for him. Mm-hmm. So is, is, and I always equate this back to how you engage with people at work and other things, but mm-hmm. can you apply some of those principles as a manager? It's harder to do. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're limited in what you're able to talk about, right? You got to right. talk about work, talk about a little personal and you yeah. can't really get to that moment where you say, I, I see you. Right. I don't know if you can carry that principle over outside of sports because you don't spend as much time in hotels and everything else together. But right. I, I, that's probably one of the more impressive things that, that Phil did. And then what Phil has done, if you think about Phil's coaching tree, yeah. we've talked about this in former other pods, Steve Kerr yeah, willing to be humble, but also Steve Kerr willing to allow the video guy to come up with an idea for how to bring together the death lineup, which set Golden State on its run to championship glory and for him to yeah. give credit for him to see right. and allow others to not exactly the same as Robin, but I feel like it's a little bit of Phil uh, allowing others the credit, but also seeing value in people that others might not see value. Yeah. It's interesting analogizing Phil's style as a coach to a professional setting, there's a lot of lessons to be learned for an entrepreneur who's going to get a small team going. Because I think those dynamics are more 100%. akin to a 12-person NBA roster, which I know you have that experience too. I think where it's trickier is when you get into larger organizations, which aren't necessarily structured that way. But then so if you're leading a, a small team within a larger organization, you can really start to see your direct reports, a core small group. I think there are, there's a lot of lessons uh, to be learned there. Any other thoughts on Robin though? I feel like we, we, we he's typecast. So we talked mm-hmm. about his hair. Yeah. We talked about his vacation. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is he's a genius. Yeah. So we talked about Rodman is the greatest rebounding power forward of all time. Mm-hmm. And to see what he did to become the player he became where he would go into a gym and have friends shoot from all sides. So he can figure out angles and figure out, okay, this guy shoots this way. He has spin to see that moment where he's looking at video on a small TV and he's taking notes on all the players. Yeah. It is brilliant. Not only for him to understand angles and rebounding, but Jordan, once again, he doesn't give credit to a lot of people, but basically saying he was a defensive savant. Yeah. And so people will see, often see, it's like that click moment, like I see you and like immediately may have an impression, but mm-hmm. there are so many layers of Rodman, which made him great. Right. And his basketball IQ. So imagine that team, he had three 
Hall of Famers, but their basketball IQs were off the charts. Yes. So I, I that was the other piece I appreciated the ramen, like, okay, the Karma Electra and the yeah. teaching was funny. And yeah, it was, a, it was a scary moment when he's outside uh, the yeah. palace with a gun. But if yeah. you really look at the layer, which is what ramen as a teammate, and I loved the interaction when they're talking defensive assignments uh, in the game and talking about what they're yeah. going to do. He was just on a different level. And that was, mm -hmm. that's amazing. It doesn't, right. it comes from practice. It comes from hard work and dedication. So that's the theme that keeps running. That's, that's a Pippen theme. That's a yeah. Rodman theme. That's a Phil Jackson theme who yeah. coached in the Puerto Rico and all these backwaters to make his way yeah. in the NBA and yeah. was willing to learn from other people and take notes to get to where he is. That, that, right. that theme runs in all the people that were, have been propped up so far yeah. in, the, in the documentary. Yeah, and I, I like where you're going there too, because I think it is that notion of playing with your head up and understanding where can I add unique value? Where am I going to be? Rodman decided to focus on rebounding. Just watching him, I, for, I forgot how amazing it was to watch him tip the ball like six times before catching it because he would get back up. There are elements of him that remind me of uh, Kawhi a little bit, just in terms of his ability to get up there yeah, so fast. And, they, and also his strength. He's so strong at that size. But to think that he could have tried to be a generalist and would have been probably more mediocre at rebounding. And it's that whole, you're open for a reason. You know, like <laughs> the fact that Rodman didn't think Oh, you know, I really need to start shooting out my, my outside shot. If you think about uh, Joel Embiid trying to hit his three, you know, sure, the game has changed or whatever. But the fact that Robin, I think he has the far and away the most 20 rebounds and no, no points, yep. right? Marcus Camby had two, and I think he had eight or whatever. But he would define what winning meant to him. And he didn't need to conform to what's my points. You know, am I going to be understood as successful in the way that is traditionally understood, he's a genuine nonconformist who's saying, I know who I am. I know where I can be great. I'm going to focus on that. And there's a ton to be learned from that. The, the flip side is there's probably some more to be learned about, you know, getting your substance problems and your other problems treated at, a, at an early age. But it's amazing to understand that he was doing this while being at the club, you know, like just doing whatever he's doing. And then he's still coming out there, not to mention, you know, Michael, Michael was not shying away from, from a stiff drink or a night out playing cards or, or doing his thing. And then the level to which they were just dominant. It is a bridging from the old NBA, which was all about smoking cigarettes, getting drinks, eating steaks, getting even worse in the late seventies into the eighties. And then into the nineties, you know, Michael was a little bit work hard, play hard, with boundaries, you know, you hear about his boundaries, but I do like that it's, he's allowing this to get out, showing the hardness of Jordan. Yeah. And then, and then to see how that hardness kind of softened when he won and he broke down. It's just amazing stuff. So as we're wrapping up episode one of Last Dance Breakdown Show. Can I talk about my favorite moment of four yeah. episodes? Please. Was... Game five against the Cavs. The Cavs are supposed to absolutely win this series. Into the game, Jordan scores. It's a layup. Elo comes back. It's a layup. We know this iconic shot. 
And I love the moment with Ron Harper. Yes. Where Ron Harper asks to guard Jordan, which you want a player to do. Mm-hmm. And they put Elo on and yeah. missed. And that yeah. was that, that I want just those small moments. Cause you get the yeah. shot and you get Jordan celebrating, but to know what decisions were made leading up to that, that's, yeah. that's, that's the drama. And I'm sure and, Harper is still pissed to this day yeah. that he wasn't guarding. And Jordan and said he guarded me better. <laughs> yeah, and we're probably going to hear more about that because Harper was on the 98 team, too. Right. You know? So the layers upon layers. Honestly, I was a big Game of Thrones. You're, you're a Thrones guy, too, right? Yeah. You like Game of Thrones? Yeah. This, to me, is the, the best Sunday night action I can remember since the height, since, like, season five of Game of Thrones, season six of Game of Thrones. Like, before it got it got kind of crazy because also like we got nothing else to do like we're all on we're sheltering at home there's no sports and then this thing happens not during the height the 20-year nostalgia halo is shining brightly on the late 90s right now too where everybody everybody loves 20 years ago regardless of what it is this is a perfect time to throw back to this and I'm just excited for what's coming next. Any, 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 any predictions? Like any, we're definitely going to hear about because Kukoc. We're going right? to get Kukoc. We're going to get, get Kukoc. Got to get Kukoc. And then I think you're going to start cycling back to seeing a little bit about Kraus and what's driving the end of this, what's driving yeah. the Bulls to the end. But I, I think I haven't. I don't want to read ahead, but I I know that we have to have a moment on Kukoc because yeah. the the love affair that Kraus had with Kukoc. What the what Jordan and Pippen did to Kukoc in the '92 yes. finals yes. and the Olympics was just amazing. And then I did read something that Kukoc didn't even know they, that there is that animosity. Oh yeah, yeah. So we have to have the Kukoc piece, which yeah. if you think about that team, just another crazy unicorn of a player to be on this Luke Longley Kukoc, yeah, Ron yeah. Harper, right, Pippen. Jordan, come on. That's yeah. the team. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. This is, is great. Yeah. Is <laughs> a time. More to, more to come on this. You'll continue to hear from us. If you haven't, if you haven't heard, now you heard. But why haven't you heard? The Last Dance, Sunday nights, back to backers. You know, I'm pretty much watching it when it's coming out live. That's what I mean. It reminds me of Game of Thrones. Like nine o'clock, I know where I'm going to be nine o'clock Sunday nights. 9 till 11. And now part of why I'm doing this podcast is like I have to think more about what I want to say too. So like <laughs> it is it is kind of fun that way. Love to get more voices in. Tarlin, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we'll continue to run it back here. And thanks again to our listeners for listening. Yeah.